Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans and Jeff Shade, a show that simplifies the complexities of investments, taxes, retirement, and more so you can discover how to better sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come. Brian is a CPA with 30 years experience and a financial advisor, which brings a unique perspective to the financial world. This show is brought to you by Madrona Financial and CPAs, home of the Rooted Wealth Plan. Want a retirement plan designed to last 30 plus years? Go to madronafinancial.com and click Get Started to see what the Rooted Wealth Plan can do for you. And now, here are your hosts, Brian Evans and Jeff Shade. Thank you so much and welcome to Growing Your Wealth from Madrona Financial and CPAs, where we give you the straight talk and the honest answers you need to reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name's Jeff Shade, and I'm just here to ask the questions. But of course, the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Brian Evans, CEO and president of Madrona Financial and CPAs. How you doing today, Brian? Doing great. Thanks, Jeff. Always glad to hear that. Certainly hope our listeners are doing well today, too. Pleasure to be with everybody here in the Puget Sound talking about money this weekend and today. Today is one of those shows, Brian, where I get to sit back and learn because we have a special guest today. It's going to be Nick Smelzer from Madrona Financial and CPAs. And Nick, of course, is a specialist in a number of different areas. But today he's going to be talking about the Delaware Statutory Trust and also passive real estate and more. But before we get to that, Brian, let's talk a little bit about current events. Inflation certainly is not going any place at this point in time. There is some argument as to whether or not we're in a recession. But a lot of people are talking about President Biden's recent decision to forget give $10,000 in student loan debts. And it's really riling a lot of people up. Yeah, it is. And thinking about that and whether you're pro or con this, I think there's been a lot of miscommunication on it. First thing is when a politician gets up and says, I'm forgiving this debt. And I think to myself, well, are you writing the check? Because the debt isn't being forgiven, it's being transferred. So there's a transference of the responsibility of paying back the debt, not a forgiveness of the debt. So I like to be a little bit more precise with my language. So uh, in, a, in a forgiveness situation, you had a debt and the person that is owed the money says, I no longer require you to pay me back. That's forgiveness. That's not actually what's happening. It's debt transference. Hmm. So the transference is occurring from the people that signed up to take that debt and they're transferring the obligation to the taxpayer. And the taxpayers are now obligated to pay it back through an increase in taxes. Then I I think there's also been some language out there. Well, it's already paid for by a reduction in the deficit. Like, no, 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 no. Because we were in the hole, what, $3 trillion following COVID. And now we're in the hole, say, $2 trillion. You're still in the hole. That million that you're not in the hole as much as you were in the hole a year ago is not money in your bank. (laughs) So they're they're kind of saying, well, we have this money. We have this trillion dollars now that we do reduce the deficit. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not how it works. I I kind of thought of an analogy on that. That's like saying, you know, during COVID, I uh, gained 20 pounds, but now I'm only gaining 10 pounds a year. (laughs) And so I'm going to do this for 10 years and I'll lose 100 pounds because I was at 20 and now I'm at 10 times 10 years, I've lost 100 pounds, right, Jeff? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, that's, that math is correct. Oh, except I've gained 120 <laughs> pounds. Okay. Darn it. You had to throw uh, that in there. Yeah, so no, the reality is that we're deficit spending, we're borrowing, and so we don't have any money in the bank to pay for anything. So nothing's paid for. So it's going to come at a cost with interest, compounded interest, for decades and decades, so we won't pay this back to the next generation and to taxpayers. So it's a transfer 
insurance of debt. It is not paid for with money we have or we've saved or anything like that. So when I hear these things, I just cringe. You know, being a pretty good accountant, I'm like, I just cringe when I hear that kind of stuff. So regardless of whether I think it's a good idea or not, I don't even have to go there. I just kind of wish that we would get more of a straight scoop Mm -hmm. from politicians, but that's that's not exactly what they're known for. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think so either. Do you think that this is a tip of the iceberg? I mean, it's $10,000 today. Will it be $20,000 tomorrow and eventually be $100,000? Is that the direction that we're going in? I don't necessarily think so. I think we're coming up on midterms, so things are being done in order to get votes primarily at this point, in my opinion. And this would be one of those. It doesn't solve anything. Uh, well, it probably solves something for some of the owes 10000 of mm-hmm. student loan debt, I guess. So, so that's probably a good thing. Although I wish that, I'm not sure, but I, I really value the trades. You know, going through my home remodel and <laughs> meeting all these yeah, contractors yeah. and seeing how hard they work and how important what they do is. And the fact that they're scarce, now I'm really appreciating them. Mm-hmm. Anybody skilled in the trades, very appreciated in my world right now. And, and I, I wish that we would also give support to that. Uh, rather than, you know, a degree from Berkeley. Okay, what's it in? Well, you know, uh, I don't know, some kind of studies of, of mm-hmm. some sort. And I'm like, well, okay, that was probably fun for you for four years. Now you owe hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure I really want to pay for that. I do want to pay for people to go to carpentry school or plumber school or mm-hmm. whatever and learn learn trades that, that can help uh, other people. And, and, you know, these people work really hard, like I say. So, you know, I, I, I think there's a lot of, of things that we could, you know, be doing to help people Although they have to want to help themselves, certainly I noticed uh, uh, we have a lot of people that didn't go back to work. <laughs> yeah, I haven't figured that out yet. I don't know how they can afford to do that. I don't know either. Maybe Nichols shed some light. He's yeah. a lot younger than me. He knows more people in that age bracket, <laughs> right. I guess. Uh, I know a lot of people in my age bracket are are retiring early for a number of reasons. One, you know, one of the reasons is the affluence that has happened uh, with a stock market that's been going up for over a decade generally, a real estate market that took off. A lot of people have a lot more money than they ever thought they'd have, and they uh, reached their basic retirement goal a lot earlier than they thought they were going to, and they're saying, heck with it, I I just don't want to go back to this post-COVID world and and go back to work. And so they're retiring too. So it's it's my generation, it's the next generation, it's all generations, I guess, that uh, we have a big labor shortage, we have a skilled labor shortage for sure. Even in our world, I I hear we don't have enough financial advisors. I'm like, really? That just seems so weird to me. But evidently, we don't because of the a number of people retiring. There's another thing that's really going to impact the economy is seeing how many people my age and older, because I'm the youngest of the baby boomers, are retiring and they're taking with them, you know, 30, 40 years of experience right. when they leave. That's not replaced when someone new comes in the door. No. Uh, you think Boeing engineers and so forth or, or just anything, anything at all, uh, dentists or doctors or, or whatever. And that, that's a big gap. Now, I know, you know there's a lot of great, smart young people, but experience is experience for a reason. You, you just can't, you know, yeah, could I buy 20 years experience? I'll put it on my Visa card sure. and, and I'll just uh, cash that check. Yeah, that'd be nice, but uh, that's not real. You got to work at the job to get experience. And, and that's something that takes time. That's the definition of the words. So there is going to be uh, somewhat of a void in, in certain circumstances as people are retiring in droves that are mm-hmm. in their 60s and, and 70s. 
Well, I'm not retired, Brian, but I've got all the money that I'll ever need in life as long as I don't live past 4 p.m. today. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, that's where financial planning comes yeah, into exactly. play. And, and that's, uh, you know, we'll be talking about that later on the show. After we talk with DSTs, we are going to talk about the financial process, uh, financial planning process, that is, and talk about you know, just the importance of doing that. Now, we all know it's important. We all know eating right and exercise is important. Uh, and we don't always do it, though. Uh, we know that doing your financial plan is important. And, and sometimes we, we get caught up in, well, I, I heard this, or I heard that, or I, I filled out this little form online that said I'm okay or not okay, whatever. But we, you know, we do a very in-depth analysis here, as, as people that listen to the show know. And we want to talk a little bit more about that. And, and just, you know, the, maybe a few people listening today will say, you know, now's the time. I really should get to this because you know, when I was working and during my lifetime and making money, I just put money away. I really right, wasn't right. paying that much attention. But now uh, I've got a lot of money in a lot of different pots, a lot of equity, and and I do want to think about when do I get to uh, you know start staying home a little more, doing things mm-hmm. I want to do, and maybe not think about working uh, so much for the rest of my life. And that is why it's so important, I think, to go to madronafinancial.com and take the rooted wealth analysis because, as you said, on the surface, you've been saving all this money all these years, and you think it's doing what it needs to do. But in reality, on the surface, it looks like it's great. But you go, you know, below the surface there and it, it's really shallow roots. And boy, if a financial storm comes along like we've had here, it can easily blow over your financial plan. Yeah, I mean, we have lots of storms. <laughs> they happen all the time. Right. Uh, there was the dot-com storm and 9-11. And, you know, then we had, you know, the terrorists and everything shut down and we couldn't fly on an airplane or, or nobody traveled, you know, for a while or 2008, you know, banking collapse, uh, that uh, the real estate collapse, uh, the COVID, the short crashes we have, even this year with the market dropping, we have inflation coming back. It's not if it's going to happen, it's just when. Right, right. And and a lot of people have their eggs in not a lot of baskets <laughs> and they're kind of regretting that, I think, uh, as these, these things happen because sometimes they ebb and flow, you know, they, when the market's up, they invest and they goes down they go oh no and they get out so they kind of do the opposite of what you're supposed to do and they don't have the the proper mix you know there's certain things that have done well through inflation and we'll be talking about that today with nick smelzer when we talk about real estate uh real estate generally speaking has done quite well uh, investment real estate during these inflationary times as opposed to many many other areas of the economy and you know that's exactly why the rooted wealth analysis is so important to our listeners and why we want to invite our listeners to go to the website take our rooted wealth analysis and it's at madronafinancial.com you know we can't predict the future but we do know that if your financial roots so to speak are deep enough the storms just aren't as scary if you want to see how deep your financial roots really are and how well prepared you are for a 30 year plus retirement go to madronafinancial.com click on the button that says get started when you do you'll fill out some basic information once submitted you'll be able to schedule a call to get your personalized results and review your rooted wealth analysis once again it's madronafinancial.com. Growing your wealth will be right back with even more ways to help sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come. Tired of only getting half the story? That's why it's so important to get your financial information from a CPA and an advisor like Brian Evans. Now let's get back to some of the most comprehensive financial information around. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. 
Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. In this segment, we're going to be talking about Delaware Statutory Trust with my special guest, Nick Smelser, one of our advisors here at Madrona. Welcome to the show, Nick. Thanks for having me, Brian. Nick, uh, we'll start out by giving a little background on you. Um, you know, as the years have gone by here at Madrona Financial, for a long time, it was kind of the Brian show, we call it. Uh, I was doing everything. Uh, in fact, when I started uh, Madrona Financial, it was just me pretty much doing everything. And I think back to the story of how I got through compliance and set up the firm because I'd never you know, done a financial advisory firm before. I literally got in my car and drove to Olympia and went to the Secretary of State. And I said, how do I do this? And they, they just looked at me like, what? Uh, we've never had anybody do what you just did. I'm like, well, I, I need to get this right. So I'm figuring I'd just come to the people that are going to audit me in a year anyway. And they laughed. And they go, oh, okay, that's that's pretty uh, ingenious there. So that was a start way back when. And, and I, you know, I used to do everything. And billing and paperwork and new applications and, and all the advising and everything. But as the years go by and we, we grew and grew and grew and started adding uh, financial advisors to the mix and, and Nick was one of the ones that we added and he's been very valuable in, in some of the topics we're going to be talking about today, Delaware Statutory Trust and other uh, private non-traded equity and debt REITs and so forth, kind of the real estate angle of this. And then also on the financial planning side, because Nick's also a registered investor advisor rep for Madrona Financial. So, uh, Nick, before we get started, uh, maybe a little background on on you, certainly, and and then kind of how you ended up at Madrona. Yeah, so I uh, was born and raised here in Everett, now live in uh, in Bellevue, out of our Bellevue office, and I uh, went to school uh, over Edmonds Community College uh, wanting to be in business, wasn't sure exactly what my focus was, went there for accounting and then finance and then economics. And then after speaking with a couple teachers and uh, other mentors, I landed on the finance. It seemed I just had a knack for it and really just uh, wanted to be a life learner in that specific uh, expertise of the business world. And then went to Washington State University where uh, you also went, Brian. Go Cougs. Go Cougs. For anyone listening. And really just hit it off there. It was just another way of just being a life learner. Wealth of knowledge here at Madrona. And then fast forward going on five years now, going into the advising side more, handling a lot more of that, and really, really excited of the, of the future. Yeah, I remember uh, when you came on board, it's it's hard as a new advisor. You don't have any clients and and uh, experience, like I talked about in the last segment, of course, and we were here to, here to help, but uh, we needed to find your niche, and the timing was perfect because uh, we had just started doing Delaware Statutory Trust, and as I mentioned, uh, uh, it was kind of the Brian show, and I didn't want to be having to do everything for every kind of investment. So I really needed somebody to help me with the research because in the world of, of investing, how important is research? <laughs> Very important. And frankly, there's a lot of information on the internet about stocks and bonds and so forth, but there wasn't as much or very little, in fact, on the internet about certain kinds of real estate investments, especially private real estate and Delaware Statutory Trust. So hired Nick and, and made him our a research analyst in that area, the alternative space and the DSTs. And boy, he never looked back. It was a really good decision on our part and hopefully for you, Nick, too, that uh, you were able to do that. I know it was because I know how hard it is for your classmates to find a decent job in this business when you don't have any clients or experience. And, and we were able to get you working on really important stuff right away. So let's 
let's start by just kind of talking about what is a Delaware Statutory Trust for those of you that, that don't know. So uh, a DST or Delaware Statutory Trust for the mouthful is a form of passive real estate in the wrapper of an alternative. What that means is in order to offer this to clients and investors, it has to go in this nice, fancy investment format, investment vehicle uh, that has certain rules and regulations to follow. One of it being all the properties are in Delaware. No, just kidding. They're not in Delaware. (laughs) They're all over the country and they're passive to the investor. They're also passive to the fund that created them. What that means is you relinquish all of your responsibilities and are able to retire and get mailbox money, so to speak. And the sponsor, they run the show according to the business plan, uh, but they're not able to do certain things, certain renegotiations, certain restructurings uh, in the deal. And they're not also not allowed to reach out to the investor and say, hey, the neighbor in 3B, he's really been a pain. We need you to fly down here and, and mm-hmm. evict him with us. Can you fly down on the first flight out tomorrow? They're also not able to do a capital call, which is really important for those who are not on the accumulation phase of their life. Now they're on the withdrawing phase of their life. So I was talking about alternative real estate investments and DSTs. In what situation would somebody use a DST over other real estate alternatives? It really comes down to the 1031 exchange. So a 1031 is a tax code, and you should only use a tax code when it's going to benefit you. Don't use a tax code when it's going to hurt you. So when people are looking to do a 1031 exchange, they're exchanging one property for another property and deferring the capital gains. It's not a true sale and a purchase. It's an exchange from one investment real estate to another form of investment real estate while deferring the taxes if that's what you're looking for. Where it doesn't work is more you're not ready to retire. You love being a landlord. You don't know what you would do in your retirement life. And another big one is you can't handle the illiquidity. Uh, That goes over to the passive that I was talking about earlier. One aspect is it's illiquid for the life of the DST. So that that is very, very important to, to know. So a lot of people obviously come to us that have investment real estate, uh, whether it's rental houses, apartments, industrial buildings, office buildings, any kind of, it could be a winery, it could be anything, investment real estate. And they're just at a point in their life where they want to, or it could be a farm even, they're at a point where they want to sell it. And nobody likes to pay income tax. So they come to us and say, all right, I need to do a DST or a 1031 exchange. Now, one of the first things Things, though that we do is we try and figure out why they shouldn't do it. And so that's what you were just mentioning. Some of the reasons why you shouldn't do it. Don't do it if it's not the right time to sell. Don't do it if you need the, the cash uh, in the near future. They're illiquid. One of the big ones I, I've had is we don't want to do it if the taxes aren't that much. So if you don't have a huge gain or sometimes I'll say, you know, they'll call me and say, yeah, I need to do a DST. I'm like, oh, slow down there. <laughs> Let's just figure out why you wouldn't do one. And I'll say, how'd you, how'd you acquire the property? Well, I inherited it two years ago. I said, well, you got to step up in basis. You probably don't have much of a gain. And so why would you do a 1031 exchange? 
And so there are, there are many reasons not to do a DST. There are many reasons to do a DST. But the first thing that we always like to do as financial advisors is figure out why you wouldn't do a something. And if we can't find any reason, now we can start talking about why you would do it. So some of the reasons, again, as you mentioned, uh, you don't have much of a gain. You don't feel like you'll be better off in different kind of real estate and they're illiquid, uh, those kinds of reasons. But some of the reasons to do one, certainly... I wrote an article in Kiplinger once, I'm a landlord, can I ever truly retire? So many people that own real estate are getting to a point where, gosh, all my friends retired from their job, but I didn't get to retire from mine until I sell it. And then what am I going to do for income? And then I'm going to have to pay this big tax bill. I don't want that. And the DST can help solve that. The DST can provide monthly income, as you called it, the mailbox money, and it can defer the tax and potentially eventually eliminate it through the step up in basis. And so that's that's another very important feature of that. There can be some estate tax savings to state of Washington residences from out-of-state DST properties. Some, I say, it's a kind of a convoluted formula that we have to go through, uh, but that's outside the scope of today's show. But we'll continue talking about the DST here. So tell me, uh, Nick, some of the different kinds of properties that are often in a Delaware Statutory Trust. Yeah, primarily they're going to be your industrial, you know, warehouses, for example, self-storage, multifamily, multifamily adjacent, and retail. And when I say multifamily adjacent, what that means, we, we all know multifamily, it's an apartment complex down the road. But adjacent would be it has characteristics of a multifamily, but it doesn't exactly operate in the same fashion. That would be your manufactured housing, senior living, and then as well as student housing are examples of multifamily adjacent, that's what I like to call it. Yeah, so you could uh, sell your, uh, let's say you had a, a rental house in Bellevue and you sold it for a million dollars. And let's say you didn't have any debt on it, so you have a million dollars. You wouldn't necessarily just buy one. Uh, how many do you see people buy often with that, Nick? It really just comes to how much that they actually have to invest. If you know, if if, if they're a, a sizable client, uh, you'd be looking at anywhere from three to five to to maybe a little bit more, just depending on how diversified they want to be and how diversified maybe they even need to be since too much diversification can kind of be a bad thing in some situations. Yeah, we always talk about diversification being a good thing. Sometimes it's not because if you're too spread out, a lot of your stuff may be underperforming. Whereas if you weren't as spread out with your investments and you picked the right thing and it did well, then you have a really nice return. And so diversification, although it sometimes lowers your, your drops in a, in a bad market, it actually uh, lowers your, your upside potential too because you're spread out. So it's, there's good and bad to everything. As we talk about on the show, there's always good and bad to every investment, every investment philosophy and so forth. And sometimes the bad outweighs the good enough to where you say, I don't want it. You know, you may say, I, I don't want any CDs because they don't pay anywhere near inflation right now. Uh, even though they're not bad by any stretch of the imagination, they're just maybe not appropriate for you at that particular time in your life. Active real estate is a great thing when markets are going up. It's not so great when you're 80 years old. 
and you get a lot of phone calls from tenants. And, you know, so it has a life cycle to it. It's great maybe when you were 50, but not so much at 80. And you want something else, something more passive. So that's that, you know, as we talk about real estate and we're kind of unique in this regard is you know, when I hear other financial advisors talk about whatever they sell, oh my gosh, it's the best thing ever and everything else is terrible. <laughs> that's, that's what I hear. You know, I see Ken Fisher. I heard him say, I'd rather die and go to hell than ever sell an annuity. I'm like, really? So you hate pensions too, because a pension with a lifetime, guaranteed lifetime payout is kind of like a pension. Or I hate annuities that protect my money in a down market. Well, then you hate CDs, you hate money markets, you hate everything. You know, don't give me that. You don't sell them. That's why you say that. I see people lie about that stuff. So we're, we kind of approach this from an agnostic standpoint saying, sometimes the DST is going to be a great solution for you. Sometimes it is not. But what we need to do is spend the time analyzing your exact situation, your tax turn. We need your tax turn. We need to look at this stuff and have the discussion as to whether it's appropriate or not. So as we come back, after we come back from break, we're going to be talking about some uh, a little more in-depth analysis and some of the vetting that goes on here at Madrona Financial. Financial as we look at DSTs, and we'll be talking about that when we come back from the break. Want more strategies that can help support the quality of life you want for 30 plus years? Well, stick around. We'll be right back with more Growing Your Wealth. Big trees fall when storms hit because they don't have deep enough roots. The same goes with your finances. Your quality of life depends on how deep your financial roots are today, tomorrow, and for years to come. If you want to learn how to design your retirement to last 30 plus years, then grab your copy of 7 Steps to a Successful Retirement by calling Madrona Financial and CPAs at 844-MADRONA or go to madronafinancial.com. Now back to more of Growing Your Wealth. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. In this segment, we're going to continue our discussion about Delaware Statutory Trust with Nick Smelzer. Now, Nick, during break, we were talking about some of the tax implications and, and what we do to kind of look at that and some of the timing. We talked about how DSTs are somewhat illiquid, but that's not necessarily always a bad thing. Uh, in fact, with investments, if all of your investments are 100% liquid all of the time, you're rate of return may not be that good <laughs> unless you're in the right stock, I guess. But uh, many investments, whether it's a business or real estate, they take time or even annuities. They take time. They need time on their side to bake a bit, as we call it. And so uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing if you have other liquid assets. But let's start uh, just kind of uh, rip off a couple of thoughts that you had that we were talking about during break. Uh, yeah, I think you actually hit hit it on the head of one of the things I was thinking about is when you, when you mentioned your annuity or what your business needs time to mature. What we call that in our in our business is your time horizon. And really one of the things that's great about that is when you're looking at maybe doing a DST or not, one of the first things I like to talk about is your tax situation as in what is your basis? If you bought this thing in 1979 and it was a multifamily property and it's fully depreciated, it's got a lot of suspended losses, it's got a lot of headaches, it's got terrible tenants. Well, your basis is going to be zero as its useful life on a depreciation standpoint. That means your gain might be much larger, which would put you in a in a more of a side of maybe a DST works for me. But on the opposite side, if you bought it in 2015, your accumulated depreciation for recapture purposes isn't going to be that high or that significant based on whatever your purchase price was. And it maybe it hasn't gained um, that much in 
you know, the seven years versus if you bought it in 1979, like the previous example. So those two um, go really hand in hand is what is your current basis, how much depreciation you have, because there's two different types of taxes, which you can really dive into. There's one slave, which is your long-term capital gains. And the other side is your depreciation recapture. I know a lot of people, I find it really funny. They'll say, oh, I've never taken depreciation, so I don't have to pay that. I'm not a CPA, so I've never done a tax return, but could you tell me, is there a, when you're filling out your taxes, is there a box on your tax form that says, oh, I never took depreciation, so IRS, please do not charge me depreciation recapture? (laughs) Well, I am a CPA, and I can tell you the depreciation rules are very clear on that. They call it allowed or allowable. And what that means is if it was allowable to take a, say, a $10,000 a year depreciation deduction, and you say, well, I'm not going to take it because I don't want to pay that money back someday. Too bad, so sad. It's as if you took it. And so then you say, oh, I'll just go back and amend my returns back to 1979 and I'll get that money that way. And like, nope, we had a statute of limitations. You can't go back that many years. You can only go back a few years. And so maybe three years and amend a return. So if you have not taken depreciation on your real estate or taken it improperly, there are no redos on that after three years. Uh, You get drilled on that. So not only did you not get the benefit, and here's the other problem with that. So sometimes you, you bought a rental when you were younger and your tax bracket was really low because you weren't making a lot of money at that time. So you got these depreciation deductions, but they were at the 10% bracket or 12% bracket. They, they weren't that valuable. And then you load up on them for decades at a time. You sell your property. Now you're recapturing the whole thing all at once at maybe the 25% bracket, uh, which is a different bracket from the capital gains bracket. So depreciation recapture is a funny thing. And you really, it's not easy easy to compute. You you really can't do this. And certainly if you have a financial advisor, they're not going to be able to do it probably be, unless they're a CPA also. So we'll ask for the tax return, the depreciation schedule. We only need one tax return and the supporting forms on that because uh, accumulated depreciation uh, is a accumulated number. It's, it's accumulation of all the years. So we don't need all the different years. We've got it all right there. But we can put it into our tax program and then do some what if scenarios. What if we sold the property and paid the tax? What if we sold the property and kept some money out and put the rest in a DST and paid some tax. What is our marginal bracket on our capital gains? Because even capital gains can be at 0%. They can be at 10, 15, 20, 23.8. Depreciation recapture can be at 25. There's all these different rates. And sometimes there's nuances that I recently saw where somebody in a lower bracket, their marginal rate was actually 27% on any additional earnings, even though they were only in the 12% income bracket. So where they had capital gains. So there's a lot of nuances to this. Gosh, even recognizing gain can put you, if you're taking Social Security and paying Medicare, that you can jack up your Medicare premiums in a year where you had a lot of income and you took that as income on your taxes. So people aren't talking about this stuff because it's really complicated. It's really hard to do. But at our firm, and when we have somebody that's thinking about these different options, we can ask one of our CPAs on staff to uh, run the what-if scenarios and calculate that and see what would happen at different levels. That's a a service that I don't suspect a lot of other companies are offering. Would you agree with that, Nick? 
Yeah, I'm, pr- I'm pretty biased in saying this, but I think Madrona is very unique as we're Madrona Financial Advisors and CPAs. It's a combination in the title and the services that we provide. Yeah, and, and you know, it's, it's very, I just cringe when people make big decisions, life decisions, and no one looked at the taxes. And I can, you know, one of the reasons I became a financial advisor way back when is because I know that financial advisors and CPAs didn't talk because I've been a CPA for a decade and a half and I'd never gotten a call from a financial advisor before they made a big decision as to what the tax implications were. Never, ever, not one, 15 years, not one call. And I'm thinking, well, (laughs) I don't think I'm that unique here. I'm guessing that these two people don't talk. So you have a financial advisor, you have a CPA, or maybe you don't have a CPA, maybe you do it yourself. Probably no one is talking about it. Uh, And these big life decisions are made, mistakes are made, big mistakes sometimes. And uh, it's really important what we do to integrate these things to help allow for people to make really good decisions. Because as I often say, uh, in your lifetime, you're going to have X amount of big financial decisions. Maybe it's 20, maybe Maybe it's 30. Well, if you get half of them right, you're probably not going to end up with very much money because <laughs> the mistakes will outweigh the gains and, and you'll lose your money and so forth and you just won't do very well. If you get all of them right, you're probably doing really well financially. So put the odds in your favor. We always talk about that, putting the odds in your favor so you make good decisions. You can't really make good decisions without all the information. So that's why we, we really like to provide that uh, when we do the analysis of the DSTs. What else would you like to talk about, uh, Nick, as it relates to the DST? Um, I think it's really important just to touch on the potential laddering when you're looking at the DSTs with being illiquid and how we talked about you being put into different uh, DSTs and how a DST and a laddering system can actually benefit a a full financial plan if you do go in that route. And what I mean by that is, let's say you have a million dollars that you're putting into and you put it into five different DSTs. The life cycle of a DST is roughly between five to 10 years, depending on market conditions, sponsor strategies based on prior performance. So when you have you know, multifamily that might be held for five years, and then you're in an industrial property that might be held for 10 years, and whatever others ones that you have, you can really set it up into being a ladder and be like, well, we think this one's going to be sold in this amount of time. And we think this one's going to be held for a full 10 years or or wherever in between, you can really address to say, okay, I'm in good health now, but I'm 72 years old. Will you still be in good health when you're 77 or 82 years old? You don't know, and the odds say that you're not going to be as in good health in the future as you are right now. So by laddering it, you can address, oh, I have a condition that my long-term care didn't address, but my DST can help and supplement some of that need. And you're paying capital gains at that point that's specific to there. And what I mean by that is if you sell a property and you invest in five different DSTs, your basis is separated between five different investments for five different replacement properties. So it can really help you with the tax planning perspective if the laddering strategy is something that is useful for you. Yeah, I think laddering is really important because as I mentioned, liquidity is not always awesome for investment returns. And uh, the longer you're, you're in certain investments, generally the better you are. So if you have investments coming due at different times, whether it's annuities or real estate, DSTs, that kind of thing, you can make decisions at that time. Sometimes you might find yourself, uh, let's say you did five different Delaware statutory trusts and you had a year where you had some losses, uh, you might decide, 
well, I'm going to actually trigger some gains to offset those losses and not really pay much tax on it. What a great way to free up some money for other purposes. Maybe it's an investment outside of real estate. Maybe it's for college or medical expenses, whatever that, or just lifestyle. And so uh, there are some uses that you can have that can be very beneficial from laddering. One of the questions on laddering I often get is, well, what happens uh, when my spouse and I die and we have these DSTs and they got to step up in basis, but my heirs can't just sell them, can they? And I said, well, no. And the first thing I always say, is that a bad thing? Have you had that one uh, come up, Nick? Yeah, I've I've had that question come up and I asked the same thing. Is that a bad thing? And the one I've gotten a few times was, well, maybe for one kid, it's a bad thing, but not for the other kid. It's a bad thing. What they mean is daughter's great with money and she has a budget and she follows it strictly. She's very successful. She doesn't need the extra money. And I, if she got it, I don't think that she would waste it. And then there's a son that might be a little bit down on his luck or just not as responsible um, with the budgeting and not financially secure. So it can be good in the sense that one kid, they can't access the money immediately. So they're going to be getting that mailbox money until it sells. While the other kid, well, they'll just wait and hold on to it. Another interesting thing about that is, yes, it's a full step up in basis. And then once it sells, maybe they won't have that big of a gain, but there may be a a type of gain that they're going to have to pay as in they got to step up in basis at a million dollars. And then five years later, it sold. Now it's $1.1 million, for example. They'll only pay that capital gain on that additional increase um, that they have. So it's pretty pretty interesting um, how all of that will work for the estate planning uh, and legacy planning purposes. Yeah, I find a lot of situations where when we're thinking about leaving money to the next generation and so forth, that it's not always a good idea to give somebody all of their money all on the same day. <laughs> you know, So that's kind of what we're talking about here when we talk about laddering, that uh, it makes a lot of sense to have money coming in at different points in time. Uh, Certainly, uh, even in my own will or living trust, um, I'm setting it up that way for my kids so that they don't get all the money at one time when something happens to me that is spread out over time because, you know, getting all your money out all at once, if you're not, if you didn't make it yourself and you're not used to running uh, money, it's not always the best thing. So certainly uh, we do that planning. And if you did inherit a DST, you still get those monthly rent checks uh, until they, they sell at that time you've had the step up you can then when they sell it you can take that money and probably not really pay any or very little income tax so uh, another nuance of the delaware statutory trust so we're going to head into to break here and when we come back we're going to be talking about how this integrates the financial planning process and a little bit about private non-traded debt and equity REITs uh, outside of the delaware statutory trust stay tuned for more growing your wealth with brian evans the show you can't afford to miss Do you ever worry if your CPA and financial advisor are on the same page? You won't have to if you call Madrona Financial and CPAs at 844-MADRONA or go to madronafinancial.com. Now back to more of Growing Your Wealth. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. And in this segment, we'll be talking more about setting together a, a full financial plan and the investment alternatives there. And and one of the things that uh, I, I've noticed, you know, I'm a national coach to other advisors across the country. I speak at these events. I, the last night I was at was in Boston, actually. Got to see the, the Red Sox play in Fenway Park. That was kind of fun. And just talking to them and, and kind of introducing the, the more broader world of investing 
I know there's a lot of firms out there that I'm just going to say essentially dumb it down. Uh, they say, oh, you should be in the stock market 100% of the time, all the time, or 60-40 stock bond split. And that's diversification at its finest. I'm like, well, not really. Because uh, there's a lot of different asset classes you can invest in. Uh, you got cash, money markets, CDs, fixed annuities, fixed indexed annuities for accumulation or lifetime cash flow. There are certainly real estate, privately owned real estate where you're the landlord, passive real estate, whether it's Delaware Statutory Trust that we talked about, private non-traded equity REITs, private non-traded debt REITs where you're kind of the bank. Uh, there are things called structured notes. There's buffered ETFs. There's uh, interval funds all kinds of different areas to invest. And most people and most advisors really don't delve into those other areas. We, we happen to do all of these areas when appropriate for our clients here at Madrona. But before we get there, now that's investments. And a lot of times I hear people come to us for the first time. They go, yeah, I went to some other advisors. They started trying to sell me something right away. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's kind of backwards to us. We don't lead with, gee, you need to invest in X, Y, or Z. We can be agnostic as to that. So we lead with, we need to start figuring out your financial plan and where you're at, where you want to be. And and Nick, maybe you could expand on some of the things that we talk about before we ever talk about investments. Yeah. So the first thing we want to get across is what we do and how we're different and how we can help you. We like to think that we're the guardians of the wealth of the most productive people in the world and some of the most productive generations of this country. And to do that, we follow three rules for every client. We want to make sure these three rules are followed. It's prepare your wealth so it supports your quality of life. Your quality of life is important. You're going into retirement. You're not working that nine to five. You have this nest egg, and now you can move forward. And the second thing is to prioritize your wealth so it does fulfill its purpose of your quality of life. And the prioritizing is is building the financial plan, looking at the roots that I'll get into in a second. And the last one of the rules is to plan your wealth. So you have a full financial plan. You're following it. It's implemented since if you have a plan and if it's not implemented correctly, just like Brian was saying with a CPA and the advisor, if you make all these investment decisions and you sell all this stock and then you go to your CPA and say, hey, here's what I did, you might get an awkward conversation with your CPA when they show you your tax bill. So we really want to plan it and implement it correctly in the right fashion. Once we get those three rules established, we want to follow our our rooted wealth analysis. The roots are going to be deeper than others. Some are going to be a little bit shallow and need some more attention to those. And that's your lifestyle, planning, your growth, your protection, your tax planning, just to name a few. And each one of those, as it might seem independent from one another, like your lifestyle plan might be different than your growth plan, but you could really see once you break down into what those actually mean, like what is your budget and then how are your other assets that are helping fuel your retirement or fuel your lifestyle, how are those growing either with or independent of the market? And then your tax plan, like I mentioned, every decision you're going to make when it comes to investing, every single one has a tax implication, whether it's going to be a major tax situation like doing a DST through a 1031 exchange, or it's not going to be that big of a tax implication like putting money in your 401k at the end of the year to really maximize those dollars. So we really want to look at that to make sure it's a full holistic plan. Yeah. And as a financial advisor, certainly we invest people's money, but the real thing is figuring out when can you retire and what does that retirement look like? 
both spouses. Where do you want to live? Uh, we get questions on everything. When should we take Social Security? We can run that analysis. When should we buy an annuity or not buy an annuity? Do we need security, uh, liquidity, growth, cash flow, tax savings? Well, I like all five of those, but no one investment does all five. What one trumps the other one? So we might have been in a growth mode most of our life. Now that we're retired, we're saying, well, I, I kind of don't think I need to just focus on having maximum risk 100% of the time, like Ken Fisher would say, you know, put, put you in the market your whole life uh, all the time because that's that's what they sell. Well, I, I might want some security. Most of my clients do not want to be max risk all of the time, like all of my clients, pretty much. And so they want to address for the first time, where's my cash flow coming from? So primarily, it's it's really about cash flow in retirement for a lot of people. And that's just not something that stocks and bonds uh, provide for all that great. I, I recently was having a conversation with somebody that was getting some dividends off their portfolios, but their drop in the market was so dramatic this year that they, they lost a quarter of their uh, investments. The husband was fine with that. He was like, oh, it'll be back and all that stuff. And the wife was about ready to lose her mind. So uh, this is the lifestyle. You don't want that lifestyle. Maybe one of you do, but the other one may not. Uh, your real estate, uh, having the place that you want to live, where you want to live is so important. That decision, I have lots of discussions about where people are going to live and some of the things they need to consider. When can they get out of their rentals and, and does it make sense to and, and what, what makes sense there? There's uh, estate planning, there's gifting, uh, there's all these different things. I haven't even talked about taxes. I'm a CPA. I haven't even talked about it. But uh, certainly the tax angle, as you mentioned, Nick, that's prevalent in all financial decisions, I would say. And if we don't address that, we're missing a big one there. Recently, uh, yeah, I was thinking about some of the questions that I've been getting from clients. And, and one of them is, oh, things are terrible now, right now. This is like kind of a unique situation. We have inflation. We we have uncertainty about future income tax rates. So I think they're going to raise taxes. They're going to reduce the estate tax exemption. We have all these, these problems in the world. You got Russia, you got China. You, politics is, you know, we're a divisive country, all this stuff. And I, I kind of think to myself, isn't it always something? I, you really can't go any year and not, not say you've got problems. There's always issues out there. And that's why it's really important to be addressing all of these different things. Uh, we're always going to have these issues. So one of the things that we, we like to do and we're thinking about a financial plan is having addressed so many different areas and investing in so many different ways that whenever these things ultimately happen, which they will, kind of one of the goals I can think of is, is I was thinking uh, as the market was really hurting here in 2022, how few phone calls we got of people that were worried because they're saying, you know, I guess I should be really worried about what's going on, but I don't really notice that much when I look at my statements because, yeah, some things are down, but other things are up and, and all of that. And certainly it's been really awesome to have some of the alternatives that we have had. I know that, uh, Nick, certainly you vet some of the alternatives, investments that we have outside of the stock and bond market is what I mean by when I say alternatives. Uh, maybe speak a moment on that. Yeah, the uh, other types of investments that I have been researching and, and educating the rest of the team on are alternatives. It's a big fancy word, and what does that actually mean? Essentially, anything that's not a stock or bond is is an alternative. 
in a very simple sense. When there's multiple different types of alternatives out there, uh, REITs, for example, it's the one that we hear the most about. There's definitely not a lack of information on your Google search when you look up REITs. There are publicly traded REITs, there are private traded REITs, and then there are non-traded REITs. And what a non-traded REIT is, is something you can't just go on to your E-Trader or Fidelity account, just buy a ticker and move on with full liquidity to sell it and buy it and sell it as many times as, as you want. In the REITs, there's two different types of REITs. There's equity REITs and then there's debt REITs. An equity REIT, well, actually just take a step. What is a REIT? A REIT is an investment plan, a business plan that a board of directors is promising to adhere to. It's not a single asset like a DST. It's not a company like Apple stock where you're investing in that company. You're really just buying the, the word of a board of directors to do what they're going to say. And those board of directors will get together and they'll say, do we want an equity REIT or do we want a debt REIT? An equity REIT is a strip mall or an office building and or in, not just one, it's a bunch of them, you know, maybe 10, 20, 50, 1,000, 5,000 properties in this wrapper that is a REIT. And the equity one is they're collecting rents and they're dispersing it to give you a distribution or a dividend, whether on a monthly or a quarterly basis. And they're following certain rules that the uh, SEC makes them follow. And a debt REIT is quite different in the sense a bank is going to lend you money to operate your business. Banks haven't really necessarily gone out and giving lending to these big companies since 2008. Um, when 2008 happened and the crash, the banks kind of got scared and then the regulations kind of came in. Um, so now there's private equity firms. So if you want to build a strip mall or you want to build a, a self-storage property, you're probably going to go to the private equity firms and they're going to give you a loan. And then that loan is charging interest, and then that interest is what fuels uh, your dividend. Yeah, and that is what happened. 2008, banks had to be replaced by private investors, and our clients can be that private events investor, essentially, in these real estate investment trusts. And, and we, we can put people in there, and, and I'm shocked at how decent the interest rate often is on some of these investments relative to other investments. So I, I know that this show uh, was quite technical, kind of a deep dive uh, on a lot of things, and probably a little harder to follow than some of our shows because of that technical nature. But uh, it's not always a bad thing. Uh, kind of, it's like it's like going to a foreign country to learn a language. Kind of overwhelming at first, but sometimes it's good to be immersed in that so that some of the stuff can stick. And I don't expect anybody listening to this show to say, "Oh, I can do all that. I understand everything they just said." Of course, you didn't. You don't do this every day. But what we're hoping we can communicate is that we do that we can meet with you and not try and push you one way or the other on how to invest. We're going to get to know you and what you want out of life before we even talk about products. If once we get to that place where we are talking about products that we understand what we have, all the di we have all the different options, we understand the pros and cons, and we'll, we'll be able to communicate that to you as a new client of Madrona Financial. And certainly we're, we're adding new clients all the time. We appreciate uh, people that call in from the show. We appreciate the referrals and so forth so that our advisors like Nick can, can build up their, their book of business here at Madrona where we work as a team. And so uh, this show is just, again, meant to, to get some immersion into Delaware Statutory Trust, alternative investments, and to our uh, investment process. So thank you, Nick, for spending uh, these last three segments on the show with me. No, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure. 
And hopefully our listening audience got something out of this and learned something they didn't know before. I'm Brian Evans. Thanks for listening. Uh, Join us again next week for another edition of Growing Your Wealth. DST investments are only available to accredited investors that are offered solely through the issuer's offering documents. The DST sponsor determines whether to accept any individual subscription documents. No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth radio show shall constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your individual information. Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC, a licensed insurance agent and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including asset allocation or diversification, guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes.